So our text tonight is Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 15, but I'm not going to read it now. I'm going to read it in just a little bit because it's about time that we have had this sermon. It's backwards. It's backwards. The sermon is actually all about time. And time is a really difficult thing to define, even though we are all very aware of it. So, like always, as the word file, logophile that I am, I went to the dictionary. And the dictionary's definition was not particularly helpful. It said, the indefinite continued progress of existence and events in the past, present, and future regarded as a whole. Time. Time. (laughs) But time is a constant. We all know it's there. I'm sure all of us have felt the pressure of time. Time is something that many of us kind of yearn to, to control and to manipulate. And I have spent a majority of my adult life trying to maximize and manage my time. If you ask any of my children, if it comes to managing the clock and getting out of here on time, I am quite the time dictator. I used to joke if ministry and flying didn't work out, then I would just teach time management classes. Because how do you get all of this done? Mm-hmm. And then there's this, this quote from Jack Cornfield. Maybe you've heard it before. It says, the trouble is you think you have time. And as I was thinking about this and thinking about this passage and thinking about time, he's right. The trouble is you think you have time. The trouble is I think that I have time. When the reality is none of you have anything to do with it whatsoever. Time is actually something that is totally outside our control, even though we try our hardest many times to control it. Time continues. The progress of existence continues because we know there is no pause button. The sun will rise and set tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. Time goes on no matter what. And so one of the things, if we've been thinking back as we study Ecclesiastes, that we should have noticed by now is that Solomon points out that there are cycles and rhythms to the world. If we go back to chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, it says the sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to, to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the winds return. The sun goes up, the sun goes down. The winds blow, the jet stream moves north, the jet stream moves south. The pressure rises, the pressure drops. Streams run into the sea, but the ocean doesn't overfill. Water evaporates, and then it falls back down. Everything in our world is cyclical. We live in a time-based creation. But that's also why we can experience all of this as vanity, that word that the preacher, that Solomon uses over and over again. Because if we are without God, that's how we're going to experience it. That's that warning that Solomon is giving us that we've read about up until this point. He tells us what it looks like when we go and engage and do things if we have no higher purpose. We just become another forgotten cog in the machine that turns in that continuous cycle of life. But then on the other hand, we know that we can experience everything in this creation with joy if we're in Christ, seeing purpose and beauty in this continuous cycle. So I've been reading all these commentaries on Ecclesiastes, and I opened a new commentary on Ecclesiastes by one of my favorite pastors that I didn't know had written a comment on Ecclesiastes yesterday. And he made this really good point. It was a little bit earlier in the commentary in the first two chapters that there are really two types of people when it comes to the gifts of God. Everybody in this world gets to experience the first type. This is the cycle of time, right? Unbelievers can appear to live what are happy lives. They can appreciate beauty. They can get rich. They can exist within the fabric of creation and the cycles. 
Everybody in the world has access to that gift. But the believer gets the second gift. Through divine wisdom and divine eyes, the believer gets to experience real joy and real enjoyment of the, of the gifts that the world has to offer. Because the believer is the one that is pondering and is thinking about that term that Solomon uses, everything under the sun. The believer is the one that's looking for purpose and meaning to the cycles and the vanity of life, finding it in God's creation. And that, that's why I think ties into the big difference between happiness and joy. We've talked about it here before, and it actually just came up the other night with some other friends. But happiness is always fleeting. Happiness is, if I get X, then Y is how I will feel. If I get this job, then I will. If I get married to this person, then I will. If my kids get into this school, then my life is. It's always a conditional. There's a trade. But that's not what joy is. Joy is, is deep down inside of us. right? Joy, joy comes from knowing that we're adopted as a son or daughter in Christ. Joy is know, knowing that you are one of the elect, that you're, you're part of God's people. Joy can't be taken from you because it's never circumstantial. It's actually part of who you are. So happiness is that first gift. So pretty the sun rose, but then the sun goes down. But joy is the second gift. Joy is, is seeing the purpose and the meaning in all of the things in the cycles of life. And that is a gift that is only available to somebody in faith. So that is the eyes I want us to look at the passage today, through the, these eyes of a joyful believer. Because as a joyful believer, time, like everything else in God's creation, is redeemed. And it allows us, through its redemption, to experience joy in it. And that this is because we as believers realize that God is sovereign over everything and all time. So now, if you have your Bibles, Ecclesiastes 3, we're going to do the first eight verses first. Uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. And thank you to the birds. The first part of this passage is probably one of the most well-remembered Bible passages. Hear God's word. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace, a time to re refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. It is hard for me to read that without the song playing in the back of my head. But the birds aside, those are really beautiful verses. They're, they're beautiful poetry. They're called parallel verses, and the Bible is actually all full of all this amazing poetry. One of the commentators said that if you don't love poetry, you can't actually, if you don't love the Bible, you won't love poetry, something around that. By loving the Bible, you'll learn to love poetry was his point, and it's true. But what's specific about this poem is it tells us about what our life looks like in a sinful, fallen world. One of my favorite pastors, Doug Wilson, in his commentary sums it up better than I, I can. And he says, This famous passage does not contain marching orders for us. It is no agenda. Rather, this is a description of God's determinations. We are not being told that it is time to sow now, and then a few months later, then it is time for us to hustle up and to get out there and reap. 
where you're being told that we have been placed in a world that we did not create or fashion, and that this world has various repetitive cycles, to which cycles we have been assigned by someone else. We are under the authority of these repetitions and have been placed under that authority by the hand and purpose of God. And that's a hard thing sometimes for me and maybe for you to grasp. The fact that God is actually in control of everything. Time is ultimately his. It is not ours. And the very first verse in this section reminds us of that. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. For everything there is a season. For every matter under heaven. That's the rooted how we have to look at this passage and how we have to look at God's sovereignty. Everything is under his sovereign control. He controls all times, all ages, everything. This is difficult if you harbor any control freak tendencies. <laughs> I will not make eye contact with any of you at this moment. <laughs> Those of us with control freak tendencies, we have a desire to want to control the outcome. We say, this is the outcome that I want, so I'm going to do everything I can to try to control it. This is, will surprise you, my default space. <laughs> Why does no one have a surprised look on their face? This desire to, to be in control of my world and control my outcomes. And actually, when I live in that space, stuff doesn't go well for me. Because I'm actually fighting against God for control I can never have. I can never win in the fight against God. And in fact, in God's sovereignty this was the place i was in for the last five days not yesterday the, f the four to five days before that two weeks ago i had this really wonderful week it was it was spirit filled we just come off of three days of our synod this clergy retreat we had worshiped a bunch we had listened to a really meaningful man in our life speak and speak about the holy spirit and talk to us and I felt like my cup was overflowing. Then we had a great outpost, and then I preached at CTK, and it was great. And then Monday, I didn't feel so great anymore. And, and this week showed up, and I, I was, you know there's a sine wave? Like you have a sine wave up here, and then you kind of go down here and you dip. So the week, two weeks ago, I was up at the top of this part of the sine wave, and this week I was totally at the bottom of the sine wave. I was tired, I was discontent, I was in this, this place where I wanted to control everything. I was experiencing heavy spiritual warfare. And then I was just generally grumbly, and it kind of, it, it kind of all built up and, and pushed out and blew up on Thursday night. And it wasn't until Friday when I was studying and praying and I was thinking about what we were going to talk about tonight, because I hadn't had a chance to prep, because I usually prep earlier in the week, that it clicked to me that this week was also from God. Not just the two weeks prior where I was like, oh, I am on fire for you, Lord. This is so great. This week when I was just, everything was a drag. This was also from God. The high of my sine wave and the bottom of his sine wave, they are both under his control in his time. Because he had me in both places at exactly the right time so that I could experience, grow, fret, let go, be placed in pain, be placed in joy at the exact time he needed me to be there. And it was with this attitude, realizing that God is ultimately in control, is what led me and reminded me yesterday that everything is actually full of joy. I turned my life back over to his will. He, I never actually had any control. I was just fighting against God for where I thought I wanted to go. So let's look at it further. Verse 2, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. 
a time to be born and a time to die. Does everybody agree here that we are born? Unless there's lizard people and one of you is potentially hatched. <laughs> you know who you are. This is an important question. Did any of you pick to be born? <laughs> no, did you? Did you sign a waiver? Did, you, did any of you give consent for your birth on this planet? Did you have a choice what day it was? Did you have a choice what century it was? Did you have a choice to who your parents were? What neighborhood you were going to grow up? Of course not. None of those things. Were you in any control of how your life started? None. You weren't even in control after your life started. You couldn't even walk or feed yourself or wipe your own butt. Like you weren't able to do any of those things. Then it begs us, are we really in control of the day that we die? I mean, of course, we can, we can risk mitigate things. My fellow aviator friends in here are all well-versed in the, the concepts of risk mitigation. But you could risk mitigate your whole day in a, the, the recycle truck drives so fast up this street. <laughs> it is... It is amazing. It is like, it is like recycling Olympics. <laughs> you could walk out and the recycle truck just takes you right out. Were you really in any control of that? No, of course not. It's the same with planting and plucking. Of course, we know there are better seasons to plant. It is probably not a great time to go plant right now. But we're not in control of the seasons. There's better times to harvest too. We're not in control of the rotation of the seasons. There's times where we build things and there's times when things are destroyed. Think about our friends in Superior. All of those houses were built up. Do you think any builder was like, you know, we should build this house in a plan that there's going to be a freak fire in the winter and it's all going to burn down? Of course not. And now there are so many displaced people, a thousand burned down homes, a time to build and a time to destroy. There are times where we mourn. Or people in our lives or situations we experience that demand our mourning. And there's times when we should dance and we should party. There's funerals and there's weddings. The Jews then and now tear their clothes when somebody close to them dies. It's a physical act of mourning because someone in your life has died. And then eventually you sew those clothes back up because you have to wear them again. And you have to continue and go about your life. A time to tear and a time to sew. A time to keep silent and a time to speak. Sometimes we need to shut up. And sometimes we need to scream from the top of the mountain. In most cases, we don't pre-plan which of those two moments they're going to be. But we're in the situation most of the time we know. Sometimes we get those two flipped, though. You scream from the mountain when you should have shut up. <laughs> right now, the world's waiting to see what's going to happen with the Ukraine and Russia. Is it a time for war? Or is it a time for peace? It's just like Doug Wilson said. It's not marching orders and agenda. They just show us under whose authority we are, who's actually in control. Which goes back to that uncomfortable peace, because if God is in control and sovereign over everything, which he actually has to be if he's God. I was saying this to Kristen. I've never had trouble with this theologically. Control freaky, I've had trouble with this. But theologically, if God is God, God knows everything that's going to take place. This isn't like, oh, that was a surprise. I didn't know they were going to do that, even though I'm all-knowing and all, all everything. Weird. How'd they stoop that low? I've never had that particular struggle, but I understand why that struggle exists because and we can get into the finer points of free will and things in the fellowship afterwards. But all of these things and all of these times are under his control and serve his purpose. War and peace, love and hate, weeping and laughter, mourning and dancing. If there's tragedy, the Lord is in it. If there is rejoicing, 
The Lord is in it. I, you guys have probably heard the tapestry illustration. I've used it before. This is like a Doug Wilson laden heavy quotes. And you try not to choose too many quotes when you preach. And then you try to paraphrase in these things. The problem is they're way better than I can paraphrase. So we're just going to keep using them. But he talks about this tapestry. He said, A common illustration of the ways of God and the understanding of man is that of a tapestry on a loom. From the vantage point underneath, little is visible but snarls and knots. But above, the beautiful pattern of the work of the loom can be seen. As Solomon has shown, we live out our lives under the loom. And everything we see is vanity. So how can we see the pattern above? Only possible answers through faith in the sovereign God. He brings us to a place where we can see the pattern above. The world lives under the loom. And without God, it actually does. Even if you see a little spark of beauty, it appears to be a tangled mess. But with relationship through faith in God, we glimpse this beautiful picture of his creation. With that imagery, can you imagine? God is good, and what he created is incredible. Like everything, it all has purpose. If he's in ultimate control, if he's in control of everything, it's his tapestry. It, which moves us into the second half of this, this passage, verses 9 through 15. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into a man's heart, yet so that he can, cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing can be taken from it. God has done it so that the people fear before him. That which already has been, that which is to be, already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. If you notice in those first eight verses, God's not mentioned at all. Just man. But in this, these last six verses, we get the God-given task. We get, we get the, the peace that includes God. The task is summed up in verses 12 and 13. I perceive there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat excuse me, and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. How can Solomon even say this? How can he say this? He's told us about all this vanity over and over again. How can he even say this? But we have to think about this book. It's this book of hope. Remember, we've talked about, we talked about the warning in a lot of sermons that we come at the very end and we give you the message of hope. This is what a life without God looks like. This is what a life with God looks like. Solomon wrote this book as a reflection back, looking at his life, both the times he was in God and the times when he was in idolatry and he was fallen from God. He's sharing wisdom with us so that we can actually live a more joyful existence while still being aware of the realities of the fallen and sinful world. It's not living with blinders on. We're living in, in a space where we're aware of what's going on, but because God has, infuses purpose into everything, we can go out and carry it out as hopeful and joyful people. And Solomon can think this way because of verse 11, working a little bit backwards. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from beginning into end. God has made everything beautiful in its time. Everything that we experience in the moment was put there specifically by him. All of it. Not just the wonderful, happy things, but everything, because he's sovereign over everything. 
All these cycles, all this stuff, it all has purpose. And then he's, he's placed eternity into our hearts. It's why we seek him. He created all of you on purpose. You have a purpose. Isn't that so wonderful? He's proud of you and, and you have a purpose. This world was created on purpose. We're here together as a group tonight on purpose. And then the blessing is when you have this mindset and you have this understanding, when you're in faith with God, even the most routine, mundane things can be filled with joy. The sun coming up, the sun going down. Think about dishes. Think about your dishes. All the dishes right now in that cabinet are clean. Whenever I decide to finish speaking, we will make them dirty. I will then wash them, put them in the dishwasher to clean them, to put them back in the cabinet, only so they can get dirty again tomorrow. It is a never-ending cycle of dirty dishes. What a waste. Clean them up so they can get dirty, so you can clean them up so they can get dirty. Can you see if you looked at it that way, how much of a drag it would be to do the dishes? But now think about it through the lens of joy in the creation that God's given us. You guys are all here. And when we're done here, we're going to go stand right over there and we're going to chat and we're going to socialize and we're going to drink and we're going to be merry and we're going to eat a bunch of food and we're going to make all the dishes crazy messy. And then we get to wash the dishes as an act of service because I get to feed all of you guys and we got to be here doing it together. And when I'm washing them, it's a reminder of what they bring, me, bring to us. I put them in the dishwasher and we run the dishwasher and then at some point it's clean. So tomorrow morning after I make my coffee, then the joy I get to do is I get to put the dishes back for the next time that I get to feed our family or feed this family. It's the same with the laundry. What about putting gas in your car? It's not even in my notes. You can make that full of joy. The car's going to take me places where I get to expand God's kingdom. I get to earn money to do the things that I love to bring joy into the world. Except the gas is really expensive because inflation is so real and terrible for us. Well, the point is that you can experience God in everything that we do. We can experience great joy in everything we do. When we remind ourselves that there's a purpose to our lives. When God is in control of time. And this isn't easy. It wasn't always easy for me, especially this last Thursday, to see purpose in my struggle. Satan was so, so deep in my heart, and he was working to prevent me from seeing that. But the really beautiful thing is once I did see it, I had prayed and I'd opened my Bible and I relinquished any attempt I had to try to control the outcome. The purpose was right there. Like I'm not being facetious. The immediacy of the purpose was there. And what happened to me in that moment was I became present. By not controlling time, I was able to be present. That's not a, a me being present isn't one of the strongest gifts that I have because I'm busy and it's always going and going and going. And this was the biggest eye opener I had this week was that when we let go of the control of time, that is the only time we are actually able to be fully present in what we're doing. Because we're not, I got rid of a watch two years ago because that was, that was a problem for me. But I just shifted now because I can count in my head really well. <laughs> I wish that wasn't so true. Verse 14, I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor nothing can be taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. Because God endures forever, nothing can be added, nothing can be subtracted. Here's the really beautiful thing. We don't have to worry about what happens next. We can just be present here. Jesus talks about that a whole bunch in the New Testament, about managing with anxiety and worry. But we see it here in the Old Testament as well. We can just be present here. 
if I, if I remember that God is in control of all that, I don't have to worry about trying to control it so I can spend my time here and now. Wilson again. If God appoints all the seasons of every man's life, then no man can live unto himself and no man can find the fount of wisdom within. If God decrees all things, then I cannot escape him, not even by plunging myself into all depravity. A man who embraces evil simply finds himself a tool in the hand of the Almighty. A man who rejects evil and follows wisdom finds himself a son in the family of the Almighty. The one option not offered uh, us is that of the thwarting and restricting the purposes of God. You can't stop God's plan. If you can reject God, he will just use you in a different manner to still support his plan. But if you're in faith with God, you're in family of the Almighty. I've said this before, it's worth saying again, we get in this mistaken place sometimes in our Christian identity that we believe because we can be joyful that there is no longer any suffering or that it will be easy. Everybody in here knows that's a lie and that's not true. There is no difference between the suffering that believers and unbelievers, the suffering that can be put upon believers and unbelievers. The only difference is the response. The believer responds with hope and the other unbeliever responds with despair. God has given us a gift of joy in all of our toil. He's enabled us to be joyful and peaceful in a fallen world because the world and its vanity have purpose. To see the repetitiveness of life in its proper context, it is one that has purpose. There's only two more Wilson quotes. When calamity comes and the tears follow, the Lord was in it. When rejoicing brings relief, the Lord was in it. This doctrine has a hard edge, and more than one person has cut himself on it. But the denial of the doctrine does not remove the light and darkness, the peace or evil. It just removes the possibility of finding any solace. You can deny it all you want. It doesn't make it any less true. But when we lean into hope and we lean into the place where God is in control, there's actually solace and peace. I was thinking about this past week and how it really is this incredible gift from God because it's my reminder about time and who controls it. I was trying to control it, which put me in toil. I was living verse 9 out. See, I went backwards on the verses in the second half. See if you guys are awake. What gain has the worker from his toil? He's actually asking a rhetorical question. We already know what gain the worker has for his toil. Nothing under the sun. It's all vanity. But when I stopped trying to be in control, then I was back in that place of immediate joy. Being present in all seasons that God provides, the good and the bad, allows us not to focus on where we'd rather be or where we want to go, but where we are in this exact moment. Everybody here in this moment is here for a purpose. When you leave this space, that moment you are in is where you're supposed to be in that purpose. So my prayer for us as we wrap up, as you enter the week, is don't try to control time. It's to be present and to be faithful for the place that God has you in at that moment. Be joyful. God, God place, is going to place you every moment of every day for the, the rest of the week, for the rest of your lives. So our job is to be present in that place. What's really great about this is because that moment was created on purpose, it was created on purpose for you because he knows you and he loves you. He knows you and he loves you. So we're going to close with my final quote from Doug Wilson. I sent this out, I think, to the Lion's Den guys yesterday. We are completely known by God, but we cannot completely know the plans or purposes of God because we are not God. The mirror before our faces is murky and our window into heaven is narrow. What then should we do? 
Under the sunlight of God's sovereignty, we should be holy and happy. Rejoice in the Lord. Obey Christ's commands. Do good to each other. Eat your roast beef, sa- eat your roast beef sandwich. Sip your scotch. Smile. God loves you. Seriously. But we are now officially out of time. So let's pray.